שיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Nalmet, joining me on my left, on the top shelf here, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter of Long Island. And back in the bottom shelf, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky of Yanshe Chesed, New York City. It's great to see you. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. It's great Shalom. to be here once again. Great. It's always uh, great to be here. Although, you know, Elliot, I, I, I'm, I'm on the upper level in my screen, so I don't know what... Uh, All right, we'll see. We'll see how this is going. Well, you're on the bottom level of mine, Jeremy. (laughs) Before I continue, I wanted to where I belong. Where I belong. I wanted to make a hakdasha dedication and and say a couple of days ago was the first yorzeit of Elisa Queen. Elisa was uh, so instrumental at uh, Machane Rama in the Berkshires uh, back a few years ago. Rosh Rikud and many other jobs at uh, at Machane Rama. She died uh, too young. Was really an extraordinary personality, Elisa. But Ephraim Abela Gittel, we are remembering you, remembering her, and may her memory be a blessing. May her family continue to have comfort from a remarkable, remarkable character, remarkable personality, and all the influence that she had in her life. Amen. So we are, we are, we're studying Parshat Naso. We're studying Parshat Naso. It, you know, studying Parshiot in, in, in the reality that we are presently living in. I think changes the um, the way it pulls out different kinds of themes from the parsha, and uh, we'll get to them, of course, during the um, the conversation. Uh, it's been a very very difficult week for for everyone. Very very difficult week to witness at the end of last week the murder of George Floyd and the um, ensuing demonstrations and things that all over the world, the violence all over the world, um, and um, and really the, the, the anger that has been swelling and really exploded with uh, this triggering um, moment. So uh, we have Shabbat to, to look forward to as a kind of oasis for us. And we turn to Torah as a, a way both of forming sanctuary for, for our lives and also help shaping our lives. And we will find the, the wisdom here within the Parsha, I think, uh, especially, and we'll, we'll get to it, especially since it, it it gives us the immortal words of the Birkat Kohanim, which we won't talk about right now. But let's talk about some of the low-hanging fruit in the Parsha first, which, um, you know, people who are familiar with this Parsha uh, understand that, you know, it's a very long Parsha, and you could um, read, learn one paragraph of the Parsha and really uh, become a masterful Torah reader uh, because of the, the gifts of the Nesi'im. So just take us into the context of this. Uh, we don't need to go too deeply into it, but... but Barry, you want to share with us what, what, what is going on here? What's the scene? It's at the end of the Parsha. Uh, we're going to work backwards here. What's going on? Why are these, why are the Nisi'im? The, the so the tabernacle is about to be dedicated, and each prince, each tribal prince is going to bring a gift of uh, animals and kalim, of vessels that will be used in the Mishkan. And um, each gift is exactly the same. The only thing that changes are the names of the tribal princes. 
And one of the great comments about this is that what's important in gift giving is not what you give, it's who you are that gives it and how you give it. That the what's lost sometimes is that each name is different and each name is obviously unique in this context. And um, it's an important thing to consider that sometimes we get a little too hung up on what we want to give to someone else and not think about the spirit in which we give it. I just want to add one other thing, which I always find kind of funny, is that this is the Torah reading for Hanukkah as well. Of course, Hanukkah is only eight days. The princes are 12, and so we have to cram that together. And that's such a rabbinic way of doing things. You have eight on one hand, 12 on the other, and you just make it work because what difference does it make? Well, the last day of Hanukkah is a very, very long reading. You're, 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 you're adding all of the theme uh, at the end, and then there's the, 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 the summary uh, passage. Jeremy, how do, you, how do you relate to this? And what do you, what, what's the, 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 yeah. the easy Torah on this one? So, so I think that the, the easy, because I, I prefer the easy things, but the easy Torah, I think, has to do with, with individuality and group membership. Yeah, um, we we and this is great about our culture. I mean, we do prize people's individuality, and and people don't want to do the same things as everybody else. And you want to you want to have something that's entirely entirely creative, uh, that is yours and yours alone. And that's not exactly, or it's not at all, the image that the Torah has of these pre of these tribal princes. Everybody has the identical gift. They give the same thing, and as, as Barry said, they gave it as themselves which to me is, is a, a, um, a, a figure for how we may relate to tefillah. There are certain communities, and I'm not one of them, that really prizes um, spontaneous tefillah and everybody write their own tefillah. Uh, I'm part of a community, both inherited in Israel, inherited among Am Yisrael, and, uh, and the sort of aesthetic of, uh, of, our, of our community at Ancha Chesed is we really prefer and revere and love the shared liturgy. Everybody does say the same thing day after day after day after day after day, but hopefully you do it each time. I, I say the words a little differently than you say it, and, and you say it differently than the next person. You do it a little bit different each day. My, one of my mantras, you know, is, is Shir Ladunai, Shir Chadash. Sing to God a new song. The song's not new. The singer is new each time. Yeah. You know, but, but it's, it's the faithful that appreciate a new song. I, I just want to remark that, um, you know, whenever I, I come to this Parsha, I, I, I like the, um, the way of saying to people, you know, the Torah devotes a lot of parchment to, to copying down all of the gifts identical to each other. Uh, and it could have, I mean, it does have a summary, you know, one paragraph summary. Why does it, you know, two, three columns in the Torah? That's, that's uh, quite, a lot of, quite a lot of expense. If you're, if you're analyzing, you know, parchment and ink, it's, it's, and, and the, the time that it takes for a sofer to write it, it's, it's quite considerable. Uh, so my uh, little take on this is hakarata tov, that the Torah goes out of its way to acknowledge the gift of every single individual. That, I think, as you said, every individual is coming at this gift with a, with a little bit of individuality, something different, something that differentiates him from the others. Uh, 
And uh, we are saying, we're, 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 we're teaching a, a bit of Derek Eretz here, which is that even if everybody gives you the same gift, you need to acknowledge it uh, with a, a full acknowledgement and that each and every single tribal chieftain, despite the fact that they gave the same gift, gets their little paragraph in the Torah, Kara Kesevachan. You know, the, 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 um, the whole, the whole, description of their of their offering so that's uh, but i would just add that what occurs to me is that the thank you notes also would be the same <laughs> and you know we all have received gifts on occasions for special events in our lives and it's always a little daunting because you end up writing the same thing over and over again and you think you're repeating yourself but you're actually sending the thank you cards to different people and they don't read everyone. You're the only one who does. I'm laughing. Do you remember we, we used to teach this bar mitzvah course at, at Ramah, okay? And, I, and in the library, there was a kid's a, a thank you note. The, the, the handwriting was atrocious. The, the note said as follows, dear so-and-so, thank you for the money. I love money. <laughs> And part of the class was to learn how to write a thank you note. And I said, here's a thank you note. Tell me what, what you like about the thank you note. They said, well, the kid was direct. <laughs> he, he was really appreciative. Thank you for the money. Never forget that. That was beautiful. All right. So let's, let's just kind of dial it back all the way to, to the beginning. The beginning of the Parsha deals with uh, some of the leftover material of last week. That we, we've, uh, the the, the Levim are assigned all sorts of different roles. Fine. They, they are the portage crew of, that's a Canadian word, by a French word, portage, right? You, to, you say it well. Thank you. It's what you do with a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> they they carry it across a frozen river. Actually, we call it the portage. The, but the portage is you get out of the canoe, you take the canoe, you take all your packs, etc. It's been a lot of fun. It's been decades. So they are the porters. Uh, and they have their deal. They, they have their detail. Um, uh, anybody want to take a shot at the soda? Sota? Well, Go ahead. the sota is an interesting concept because a lot of people find it very problematic. Um, and that's the, that's the low-key approach. Is tell our, tell our eight, we tell, we're up to nine Tell our many viewers. listeners what the... Uh, so the Sota is a ritual designed for a man who suspects, with good reason, that his wife is having an affair. And she is brought to the priest. She, has, she brings an offering that is distinguished from other offerings because it's not anointed with oil or mixed with incense when it is burned. She is um, treated roughly, I guess, is the polite way to put it, in her dress. Her hair is uh, let, let down as a sign, of this, a sign of disgrace. She has to take a potion. And um, if she is guilty, she will get a, a fatal disease. Or certainly, if not a fatal disease, certainly a disease that will attack measure for measure the nature of her sin. Um, what I find interesting about it is that certainly if we read back from the rabbis into it, the man had a choice to divorce the woman if he wanted to, and therefore it seems that the ritual is designed to save the marriage. So we might, and I think we have to take exception to the ritual itself perhaps, but the idea that marriages can survive something like this 
is sometimes important to remember. Indeed. I, I think uh, I think it's a tremendously interesting passage. Of course, it's difficult for all the reasons that you alluded to. Um, I, I would say, by the way, it's my um, it's my guess. This is it's, it's like a, hopefully an educated guess, but it's a guess that what's being described is a spontaneous abortion. That if she's guilty, um, that that this it says you know her her belly swells and her thigh falls and. And I think that some sort of, you know, gynecological disaster happens to her um, and she's, she's caught. But I, but I want to pick up on what Barry said about saving the marriage, which, which is exactly in, indeed. I mean, there's a number of features that are interesting about this. One is that the, that the sages in Tractate Sota um, tend to say, uh, first of all, they don't like magic, okay? They are rational folks. Not everything that they said strikes us in the 21st century as rational. Um, their modes of thinking were different than ours, but they like evidence and discourse, and they don't like magic tricks, and they don't like like things like this. So they are discouraging of doing the the ritual. They point out uh, frequently in, in the first chapter of this um, uh, tractate that you know husbands who who have um, uh, wives who behave suspiciously probably deserve it thanks to their own bad behavior. Um, and I, I want to just offer the, the thought that sometimes the mitzvot in the Torah seem like prescriptions about the way people should behave, and sometimes they seem like reforms. So I'm going to give you two examples. The Torah says that the uh, person who is executed, their body be impaled on a stake, but taken down before the next morning and given a burial. Now, I don't think that the Torah is saying, hey, impale them on a stake. It's saying, you guys, I know you impale on a stake. Do it for a minute and get it over with and, and then bury the person. Or the Ben Sorero Moret, the rebellious child. The, the Torah seems to be saying, okay, I'm going to put it a whole system so angry parents don't just kill their children. And I think Sotas like that, that a husband um, is not empowered because he's been seized with this ruach kinah, the spirit of jealousy, to take matters into his own hands. Actually, you have to go to the Kohen, who is dispassionate, and there's a whole big ritual, and the ritual doesn't look good at all to us in the 21st century about how the woman is treated, but it takes it out of the hands of the jealous and angry husband and puts it into the hands of you know, a judicial procedure, which I think is a kind of reform. There, there's an interesting motif in the in the whole discussion in the whole, in the Torah where the part of the ordeal is that she has to drink, as we mentioned. So uh, they take the the uh, the curses in the scroll and rub them into the bitter water. That's there's something fascinating about the fact that she has to drink drink words, drink the curses, and it reminds me, of course, Egel Hazahav. I'm sure this you know the the connection is made, you know, that the Egel Azahav incident is an incident of, of betrayal, marital betrayal, relationship betrayal. Right. Uh, and in that incident as well, uh, Moses takes the Egel Azahav, he burns it, grinds it, and puts it in water and has the people drink of it. And so there's something very, very uh, caustic about drinking that which, uh, which is cursed. Well, caustic is a well-chosen word, given what it must have tasted like. Yeah. Um, the, the, what's um, interesting is that, yeah. Elliot, your point suggests that, you know, in 
in the Sota ritual, Devar refers to the words, and in the Ekwazahav, Devar is a thing. Yeah. And so it combines both uses of the word Devar, which is uh, presents a striking a striking image. By the way, again on the on the theme of of this being an attempt to save their marriage, you know, there's this wonderful midrash that God says, you know, I I love marital togetherness to such an extent that I allowed my name, the divine name, which is part of the curses, to be blotted out into water, which is ordinarily forbidden to destroy the divine name. But I, I, I told you, just blot out my name. It's okay if that's going to keep the two of you together. And, and uh, Well, let's, let's, let's so talk about another area. Right? I just want to mention, at the beginning of Masachat Sotah, there's a statement that the arrangement of marriages is as difficult for God as the splitting of the Red Sea. And so what, you know, again, to emphasize that the Sota ritual takes into account that once a couple is married, they really have to try and do everything that they can in order to stay married. Fantastic. Nazir, free association here. The Nazarite. (laughs) He's got a little wave from Galit behind you. The the Nazarite, someone who is zealous for God, someone who wants to, I guess, be a Kohen, you know, not born to the priesthood. He wants to kind of delight in that. Uh, A problematic figure, certainly. But uh, I guess for, well, we all took haircuts. But uh, when when our hair goes pretty wild, it it gets to be a little Nazarene, no? Well, you know, I think... I think the the combination of the dialectic in, in the story of the Nazir about wildness and discipline is really interesting because the Nazir um, is supposed to let his ha- hair grow wild. And that's a kind of like, there's a way in which this, I find a kind of charming, um, you know, religious nut, right? Uh, people who, who are really uh, in love with God or the God intoxicated person or something like that, um, they're a little wild. They're a little. They're a little funky, and and you can see, you can you know think of pictures of people through history. Like there, there was a nineteenth century, late nineteenth, early twentieth century guy called the Rugachaver Gaon, Yosef Rosen. He he never got his hair cut, and if you look at him, it's really his, he's a hysterical wild. picture of this big, big wild-haired man, and he was he's, you know kind of he wasn't normal, and the Nazir is a little bit not normal. He's a little extreme, and at the same time, and so. And so the nezer, the word nazir is related to his, there's a crown. The nezer is a kind of crown on his head. Uh, but in the end, he has to shave it off. And he actually burns the hair, cooks the sacrifice over the hair. But the nazir, in addition to having that bit of wildness, ultimately culminating in, in the head shaving, is, um, is that he's also extremely disciplined. And he, had, and he can't have any alcohol and he can't have, uh, any grape product at all, in fact, not, not even a grape seed, um, and and can't come near dead bodies. So he, he's in, or she, by the way, this is Isha or Isha, male or female, um, this devotional this devotional gesture is at, is at once go a little crazy and keep really restrained. So there, it, it normalizes the impulse for zealous behavior. I think that that's one of the interesting features of, of this institution, this, this person, that person, you know, we, we have a, a, a very diverse people uh, with a lot of different tendencies. And in fact, you know, you could find, you could find these tendencies almost at every age, although I suppose uh, among younger people, these uh, impulses are much more profound. Um, and there is a context, the, the, 
the Torah is giving a framework for containing this zealous behavior. I don't know, Barry, you want to chime in? Yeah, on? so the, here in uh, Parshat Naso, the Nazir is a temporary phenomenon. You engage in this practice for a month or some set amount of time, and then you have to bring a sin offering, which the rabbi suggests is because God wasn't exactly pleased that you did this. You fulfilled everything you said you would do. That's good. So you bring a sacrifice. On the other hand, the fact that you felt impelled to do this is not necessarily a good thing because zeal is not good for a community. If you're not the zealous one yourself, it's very hard to bear those people who are. And we, we all have that difficulty. The counterpoint is that elsewhere in the Tanakh, we have lifelong Nazirim, Samuel and Shemshon, um, both leaders of a, a, of a certain type. And ultimately, those people will no longer serve as leaders. Um, you know, Shimshon the judge, Shmuel, however we want to characterize him, certainly we can see him as a transitional figure between the, the, ju- the judges and the king. That, we, that's not what we're looking for in, in our leader. Um, in our sacred community, either our sacred community as Jews or even in our secular community in the United States. So let's, let's now uh, devote the, the final minutes of uh, our talk to Birkat Kohanim. Um, this is really the most familiar passage uh, in the Torah, I, or you know, one of the central passages in the Torah, one of the most well-known, top 10, I suppose. Uh, we recited. Uh, every day, part of the tefillah, we recited over our children. Well, we used to recite it every day. Exactly. Well, we had a minion. Well, we got a minion. Uh, we, we do it uh, at home with our children. Uh, we have our resident coin here. I mean, you, you've invoked the name of God uh, on more than one occasion in offering a blessing. Uh, so so uh, the, the, the text is, is, is a fascinating text. Thus shall you bless the children of Israel. This is how you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, You know the blessings. And then, They shall set my name on the children of Israel, and I shall bless them. So in addition to the emotion of these words, um, just the, 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 the context or the the idea of blessing and the uh, what what is conveyed in these blessings? Well, you're wearing the shirt, man. I'm wearing the shirt, man. Be a blessing, be holy. Choose life, life go study. study. <laughs> so, be a blessing. Um, you know, to be a conduit. Well, this is uh, the T-shirt, and it's one of uh, Rabbi Malamut's mottos, of course. Is Abraham back, back from Genesis chapter twelve? God says to Abraham. You know, go out of your home place, go take it a new place, and you will be a blessing. And, and I think that uh, one way to think about this is that in the lives that we live, we can be conduits for divine blessing. So the, it's, a, it's a little bit confusing in this passage. It's a little bit ambiguous because it says, this is, how they, this is how you should bless children, but the, what you should do is put my name on them in such a way that I will bless them, okay? The, the ultimate blessing is God, but I think that the, the way we live 
can sometimes be a conduit for that blessing. I know that, so I, I am descended from, uh, from Aaron the priest and so on. Um, and when I've had the opportunity in, in uh, shuls when I was growing up, my, my own shul does not do the Birkat Akwan even in a ritual way, but when I've been a young, younger person or when I've found myself in those settings or when I've been in Israel where Birkat Akwanim is said in, in most places on an everyday basis, uh, I have felt at moments like being able to recite these words, which, which are kind of the only real liturgy in the Torah. This is the, the only place in the Torah itself where it says, here's the, here's the worship formula. Here's the ritual blessing formula. I have felt, you know, that light and energy of being a conduit of blessing. So I want to, you know, hey, Abraham, be, be a blessing, be the person who passes on the blessing to others. Barry, what are your reflections? So, yeah, I, I think that the word conduit is very important because the Kohen is the conduit for God's blessing. Each of the three phrases mentions God to remind us that the Kohen is only a conduit. We call it the priestly blessing, but the priest is merely invoking God's blessing upon the people. And in a sense, the Kohen is the representative of God on earth, which is why we need the Kohen to administer the blessing. Um, the other thing that occurs to me is that the blessing concludes with peace, and the true blessing here is a blessing of peace. If God will shine his face upon us, and then we will be blessed with peace. And this is a counterpoint to the jealousy of the husband in chapter 5 with the Sotah, and the zeal of the Nazir in chapter 6, that what we're looking for is a kind of, um, I guess, uh, as the song goes, a peaceful, easy feeling. Well, not um, only that, but, but, but um, Richard Elliott Freeman, in his commentary, makes the point that, that this book, Bamidbar, is, is filled with conflict and filled with war and bloodshed. Uh, and... It, isn't it ironic or is it important, instructive, that the, the ultimate blessing of peace be located in a book of essentially war? That, that the, this, these three verses, the three words, five words, seven words, uh, 15 words are a counterpoint to an, a book that is in, in large measure devoted to conflict. It's a, it's a problem, but it brings us back to the last verse of the Parsha where the tabernacle is going to be filled with God's presence and it will spill over. And if we are fortunate, it will bring peace to our community. We'll talk and about so it in a second. Let me, let me re I just want to react to the, the, the last verse in the blessing. Not It's the, the, the postscript of the blessing. It's Samuel Shemi. I've always taken it quite literally. And, and um, you know, the, the, the Spock... You know, I can't, you know, I'm not a Kohen, right? You can do it. There we go. Okay. So, so I, my theory is that these are the Paleo Hebrew letters for God's name. And you're actually, by placing them on people, you're giving uh, kind of. Right? Oh, that's, that is so good. I never heard that or thought yeah, of it. I, I'm the Kiddush, okay. Oh, go ahead. You're, you're literally placing the name of God on the people. And, so part of the interaction of the priesthood to the people is a daily invocation of God's name, such that the people literally becomes the vessel of God's name. And, and we could add that to, 
you know, our string of mission statements of, the, of, of Judaism and the Jewish people. What does it mean to be a Jew? To be a Jew is to be a vessel of God's name in the world. That is to say, you are always trying to bring the reputation of God, God as liberator, God as compassionate, God as the, the, the entity that wants to break through to humanity and instruct people in how to be good and on and on. That, that we are the vessel for that. I just want to take a second before we get to the, the end and just say, so on that note, which is, you know, I feel very, it's a, it's a, um, a strong idea. You know, America is a vessel, a vessel for the world in some way. And it's very hard to be a vessel of, of ideas. And, and here's what we're seeing during these days. You know, the, the, that the, the mission of America, which is to be a beacon to the world as well, to be a beacon of freedom, to be a beacon of equality and, and also peace. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's yeah, I'd like to say a word about, about this, the peace thing. Um, you know, I'm in, in New York and there's been upheaval here and uh, we were talking before the call began about the stores in my neighborhood have um, put some plywood on the, on the glass windows. They're worried about being smashed. Um, and, and there's been a small number of people who have been killed, both obviously uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Aubrey in the recent weeks. And then, then during the, it's a kind of small number of people who've been killed. Um, I think that, and, and it feels terrible and it feels frightening and it's extremely upsetting. And we're in a place in, in human history where e each death is like really notable. You know how many people have died in Syria? You know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have died in Syria. How many people died in, in the Iraq war? Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people died in the Iraq war. How many people died in ancient Israel? Those, those were brutal, brutal conflicts. Um, and the blessing of peace is just so, it's so fundamental that life could it include such misery, such bloodshed, such loss, such fear, that to make the paradigm blessing, the kli machzik bracha, as the, uh, as the Midrash says, the vessel that holds all blessing, is that sense of peace and well-being. It's just so precious. When we in 2020 have the, our peace disturbed, you know, kind of a little bit with a little death and a little upheaval, it brings home to us how terrifying it would be to have so much more upheaval and bloodshed. Um, I want to just note to our many listeners that this, the structure of the Birkata Kohanim is really, really important, um, that it concludes with Shalom as, and that is the, the end of our Amidah, right? We say, Amid, we say the Amidah, we say the Birkata Kohanim um, before the last blessing, which is Sim Shalom, right? V'yasem lecha Shalom, God will place peace upon you, shmi, place my name, and then we say, Yasem lecha Shalom, Sim Shalom. The, the priestly blessing says, um, we will the, the, that we hope that God places places peace on you, and then the worshiper says, "Okay, God, same shalom. Now give us give us that give us that blessing that we have just invoked." I, I find it a, a deep structure to all of our uh, all of our worship. Fascinating, and it's a good place to to kind of bring it to a pause, even though we have so much more to talk about. But all right, I know you wanted to 
So what I what I'd like to add is that the way the blessing is structured with the concluding verse, the fourth verse that we've added, suggests to me at least that peace is not a condition but a response. That the blessing that God will grant us of peace demands that we respond in a certain way, and we're not looking for peace as a kind of stasis where the absence of things, the absence of conflict, but a way that we can respond to what we have been given in the world. I think that's a good place to, to, to bring our, our conversation to a close. You know, the, you said the beautiful thing, uh, the, quoting the Midrash, that, you know, the, the clean, that, that shalom is a, a vessel. And, um, you know, we, we can be a vessel. We can be a vessel of peace too. Bring peace to our communities and bring peace to the people that we interact with. And of course, I think, you know, in our own modest way, our little conversation here adds a, a measure of uh, joy, comfort, and even peace to people, you know, understanding that uh, through Torah, we can bring some of that um, light into the world, especially in a world that is so shattered right now. We want to wish our, uh, our listeners and our communities a Shabbat Shalom, a Shabbat of peace. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Rabbi Barry Chesler, I'm Elliot Malman, Rabbi Hanukkah Conservative Temple. Great to see you all. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Shalom, everybody. See you next week. See you next week on another edition of Parsha Talk. Parsha Talk.